Okay, brothers and sisters, uh, praise his feet to our loving God that we're gathered again to study the words of our loving Father. So we're going to keep moving uh, to Numbers uh, chapter 13, and it's, we're, our topic for today is about Kadesh Barnea, and we subtitled it Wasted Opportunity because there was an opportunity presented there, but as we all know, history tells us they wasted an opportunity, and so what could have been a great blessing became a great tragedy spiritually. And so we want to avoid that. So we want to learn as much as we can about the events there at Kadesh Barnea. But before we go to Kadesh, let's go back just a little bit to the book of Numbers chapter 12, verse 16. This is where we left off last week in Numbers 12, 16. And afterward, the people moved from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. So they came from the... Uh, Hazaroth, that is right there, we can see it, right? That is our starting point in, the, in Numbers chapter 12, verse 16. And so they moved their camp all the way to the wilderness of Paran. That is where they camped. And while they were in the wilderness of Paran, there was a specific place that they camped in. What is that place? In Numbers 13, 26, now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea. And so when they stopped at Kadesh, something happened. The reason why we titled our Bible History Project lesson today Kadesh is because of the events that took place in Kadesh. Now, we haven't studied it yet, but just to give you an overview, in Kadesh, that is where Miriam dies. Not just that, that's where Moses disobeyed Yahuwah at Kadesh. And it was there that Yahuwah said to Moses, because of your sin, you're not going to see the promised land. So that was a wasted opportunity. Not only that, in our study today, we will see that Israel wasted a golden opportunity to receive the promise, the promise of Yahuwah God that he made long ago to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is why... We need to learn from the events in Kadesh so that when an opportunity presents itself, we will not waste it. Instead, we will seize it. We will make the most of the opportunity that God has given to us. So what was the opportunity that God gave to the people of Israel there at Kadesh? Well, what is the promise of Yahuwah God to the people of Israel? When Yahuwah delivered Israel from Egypt, what was his purpose? Because we know God does everything with a purpose. So what was his purpose? Exodus 3 verse 8. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hevites and the Jebusites. So what was the promise of Yahuwah God? to his people of Israel, which is why he was going to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians. Yahuwah promised them a land, right? Not just any land. Yahuwah said, it is a land that is good and large, a land flowing with what? Milk and honey. In other words, it's a good land, fertile land, land that they will enjoy, land where they can flourish and Prosper. So even if in that land there are Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites, would that be a problem to Yahuwah God? No, because if Yahuwah promises, what will he do? He will deliver on that promise. So when they were at Kadesh, when they were there at the wilderness of Paran, guess what is in front of them? Do you see all those ites? Hittites, Amorites, Jebusites, Hevites, and Canaanites. Do you know what that means? The land of promise was right in front of them. They were about to seize the, the land of Canaan, the land that God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they wasted the opportunity. I don't know if anyone here can relate to something like that. When you're so close to triumph, you're so close to victory, but somehow, some way, you self-sabotage. Has that, has that happened to you before? You, know, you can smell it. You can taste the victory. And at the very end, 
at the final stretches when you're about to cross the finish line, something happens. Instead of receiving the gift, you receive something else, a wasted opportunity. So we're going to study why they ended up wasting the opportunity to receive the promised land. God promised them this land long ago. So what is the reason why they failed to seize on that promise of God? Well, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 121, look, he has placed the land in front of you. Go and occupy it as occupied as Yahuwah, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. So they, Moses tells them that the land is in front of them, right? What do they need to do? They simply have to go and occupy the land. But there are enemies there. Bible says, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. What is the basis of their courage? It's Yahuwah who made the promise. So all they had to do was to go and occupy the land. Now, after giving that instruction, right, to go and occupy the land because Yahuwah has promised it, the people of Israel, they do something here. What is that? Verse 22. But you all came to me and said, first, let's send out scouts or spies to explore the land for us. They will advise us on the best route to take and which towns we should enter. And so the Bible says when they were right in front of the promised land and all they had to do was go and conquer it because Jehovah God was with them, the people of Israel, well, they make a suggestion to Moses. What did they say to Moses? Okay, we're going to do that. But first, let's send out scouts to explore the land. What do you call that? Instead of going to directly occupying the promised land, you tell Moses, let's not do it yet. Let's first do this. What do you call that? Starts with letter P. When you put something off, instead of doing what you're supposed to do right away, what is that called? Yeah, it's like procrastination, right? Delaying tactics. And it sounds pretty pretty good, right? Let's go ahead and scout the land first. Let's see what we can do so that we can put together a good strategy. However, when it comes to God's promises, you don't really not need much strategy. When Yahuwah says, go occupy it, you go occupy it, right? But the Israelites started off with procrastination. So resistance to change is the reason why. They did not want change. Some people like status quo, right? Some people don't like to change. But there's a saying nowadays, if you don't adapt, what happens to you? You're going to die if you don't adapt, right? I mean, look at the businesses today. Those who do not adapt because of COVID, what happened to the businesses? What happened to them? Are they still in business? No more. If you don't adapt, you die. We need to adapt. We need to keep going. We cannot be complacent. We cannot keep the status quo. However, it is human nature to resist change. It is human nature to love the status quo. It's just the way it is. This is why the people of Israel, when they were about to embark on the promise of God, they were hesitant and they procrastinated. And because they procrastinated, they told Moses, why don't we just scout the land first? And so what did Moses say about that? Let's read Deuteronomy 1.23. This seemed like a good idea to me. So I chose 12 scouts, one from each of your tribes. So Moses when he was kind of probably caught off guard, he decides, okay, it seems like a good idea. So I'm going ahead and, and I chose 12 scouts, one from each of your tribes. However, when we look at the book of Numbers, which is what we're going to read today, before Moses chooses the 12 scouts, he consulted with Yahuwah God first. And what did Yahuwah God say to him? Numbers 13, 1 to 2, Yahuwah now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving to the Israelites, send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. And so when Moses consulted with Yahuwah, because the people of Israel went to him and suggested we send 12 spies or 12 scouts first, what did Yahuwah say to Moses? Okay, Yahuwah said, have it your way. If you want to do that first, Yahuwah gave it to them. And so God said, send one leader from each of the 12 
ancestor, ancestral tribe. So what did Moses do after this instruction? Numbers 13, three to four. So Moses did as Yahuwah commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. These were the tribes and the names of their leaders. Who are they? There you go. Tribe of Reuben, Shamois. Simeon, Shapat, Judah. Who is Judah? Tribe of Judah. Representing tribe of Judah. Who was that? Caleb, son of Jepune. Issachar, Egal, son of Joseph. Ephraim, Hosea, son of Nun. Benjamin, Palti, son of Raphu. Zebulon, Gadiel. Manasseh, son of Joseph. The representative leaders, Gadi. From the tribe of Dan, Amiel. From the tribe of Asher, Sethur. From the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi. From the tribe of Gad, Guel, son of Maki. So you have 12 tribal leaders. And of the 12, there are two that we highlighted. Who are they? Caleb, son of Jephone, And Hosea, son of None. There's a reason why we highlighted that. And so I'm going to ask you later about what the reason for that is. Okay, but let's keep going. And so when the tribes, the tribal leaders were ready, what did Moses tell them to do? Numbers 13, 17 to 20, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like. And whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many, what kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. And so this was the instruction of Moses. I want you to look at the instruction that Moses gave. And what do you sense from Moses and also from the people of Israel about these instructions? Look at the underlying part. That gives you a hint, right? What does that show you? Could it be that perhaps Moses, the people of Israel were doubting the promise of God? What did God say in Exodus? The land I'm gonna give you is the land I'm going to give you is flowing with milk and honey. But here's Moses. He tells the people, check it out. Make sh- What kind of land is it? Is it a good land? Is it fertile? How is the soil? They even want to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It kind of implies and suggests that perhaps they were doubting the promise of Yahuwah. You know, when a person starts doubting the promise of God... That is recipe for eventually wasting the opportunity God will give them. This is why, number one, there was resistance to change, which led to procrastination. Procrastination turns to what? Doubt. They were beginning to doubt the promise of Yahuwah, our God. And so they sent the spies, and where did they go? Numbers 13, 21 to 22. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zid, as far as Rahab, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron. Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Now, Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And so when the spies were sent out, this was the path that they took, that red line right there. And so they started out from the wilderness of Paran. That's where they camped. And so the 12 spies followed that dotted line all the way to Rehob. They were right in the middle of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Philistine, the, uh, the Canaanites and the Amorites. They were in the middle of all these ites, right? Because they wanted to spy or scout the land that Yahuwah God has promised them. Now, when they came to Eshkol, what did they find? Let's read Numbers 13, 23 to 24. When they came to the valley of Eshkol, they cut down the branch with a single cluster of grapes, so large that it, took, that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. They also brought back samples of the pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol, which means cluster, because of the cluster of grapes, the Israelite men 
cut there. And so when they went to the Valley of Eshkol, what did they find? They found grapes, but these grapes were huge. Usually you get grapes, like a whole bunch of grapes. You can carry it, right? With just your fingers. You can pop a, you can pop a grape into your mouth, no problem. But with these grapes are different. They're a monster size. How big were the grapes? Well, it says it, it was so it was so big, the cluster of grapes, they, they needed two, how many men to carry that? Yeah, two men just to carry the cluster of grapes. That's how big the grapes were. What does that mean? The land was fertile. The land was indeed flowing with milk and honey. And so after exploring the land for 40 days, what did they do? Numbers 13, 25 to 26, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. So they went to the land. They came back. Now it was time to report what they saw. How many spies did the reporting? Twelve, right? Because 12 spies were sent out. They explored the land, got some of the fruit, some of the, the things that they found, and they were going to report, report now to the whole community. What did they report to the community? Let's read Numbers 27 to 29. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. And so when they reported to the people of Israel, what was the focus of their report? What can you sense from their report? Well, if you look at what they said, they said it does flow with milk and honey, but you notice the word but on verse 28? Do you know where that word but comes from? That comes from fear. You see, fear doesn't look at the opportunity. What does fear look at? What does fear focus on? Fear focuses on the hindrance. Fear focuses on the potential problems. What did they see? Because they were influenced by fear. What did they say? They said the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. That's what fear does. It focuses on the problem, not the opportunity. And so doubt often leads to fear. And why were they afraid? In the book of Numbers 13, 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. What did God say for them to do? Occupy the land and take it. Now, these people, what do they want to do? Not what God told them to do. Why? Why are they backing out? Why do they want to go backward? They said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. Is that a problem? You know, sometimes we're just like that, right? God gives us a promise, but for some reason, we don't want to do it. And the reason why is because we are afraid. You see, when we base the outcome on our own ability, there will be plenty of room for fear. It's always the case. When we look at the situation and we measure the situation based on our ability, we're going to say, oh, that obstacle, that person, that adversary is better and greater than me. And therefore, you're afraid. This is why whenever we do things as a people, we need to base it upon the promise. If it is promised by God, there's no reason to fear. The promise of God removes the room for fear. That is what we need. And so what happened to the people of Israel? Number 13, 20, uh, 32 to 33, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. He said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, 
come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. Do you notice, what do you notice about their report to the people of Israel? A little exaggerated? Yeah? What are some examples of the exaggeration? They devoured those who are living in it. Come on, did they really devour those who are living in it? Right? What else? They said the people there were so great in size, we seem like what? Grasshoppers in their own, in our own eyes. Is that too much of an exaggeration? I mean, Goliath was big, right? But how big was he? Goliath. Like nine feet tall? Nine footer. Like Yao Ming, but with, probably with muscles. Yeah, how tall was Yao Ming? Like seven, six? So Goliath was about nine feet tall. I mean, we don't know, right? But they're giants or people who had great stature. But be in compared to them, they're not grasshoppers. That's a different kind of level of uh, stature, right? And so they exaggerate, which is what fear does. Fear exaggerates. So, so far, what we can see from the people of Israel, it started with procrastination. That turned into doubt. The doubt led to fear and the fear exaggerated the problems. And so when they gave the report to the people of Israel, it was no longer an honest report. It became a biased report. However, two of the spies, they went against that report. Who were they? Who was one of the people who rejected the majority report? Let's read the book of Numbers 1330. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land. He said, we can certainly conquer it. You see the difference? The 10 spies, what do they want to do? They, want to, they said that we shouldn't go there because they're too strong for us. What did Caleb do? What did he say? He said, let's go at once. Let's go right this minute. We can certainly conquer it. And so that was a cry of faith. The rest, they had a cry of fear. You see the difference between the cry of faith and the cry of fear. But when the whole community listened and heard the majority report, what, did, what happened to them? Numbers 14, 1 down to 3. The whole, then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in the great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is Yahuwah taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Wow. Because of that report, what was the sentiment of the whole community. They started weeping out loud and they cried all night. They were probably imagining going to the promised land and then being devoured by the giants who are there. And they're afraid for their wives and their little ones. And so what did they do? They complained. They want to go back to Egypt. This is why problems often lead to discouragement that report that was that false report that the 10 spies gave. It was not honest because it was exaggerated because of fear and it was filled with discouragement. It affected the whole community. And because it affected the whole community, what did they start to do? Numbers 14.4, they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. What do they want to do now? They were right there. The promised land is in front of them. All they have to do is occupy. Now, what do they want to do? They want to go back. They're not progressing. They're not moving forward. They're moving backward, right? Why is that? Because of fear. You see, fear takes us backward, but faith takes us where? Forward. This is why in our work today, if we want to make progress, we need to overcome fear by our faith. Because if we will live in fear, we're always afraid of what people will think. We're always afraid of what people will do. Nothing's going to happen to us. We're going to go back to where we came from. But what God wants is for us to progress and to move forward and occupy the land. This is why when this happened to the people of Israel, 
Well, what did Moses and Aaron do? Well, Numbers 14, 5, then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. I guess they didn't really know what to do, right? They were just praying to Yahuwah God. What can we do about the situation? But there were two who stood up. Who were they? Numbers 14, 6 to 8. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if Yahuwah is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. And so we have the 10 who gave the false report. And because of their discouragement, they caused the whole community of Israel to want to go back to Egypt. And when this was happening, when fear overwhelmed the whole nation, there were two, a minority, a two, a remnant, right? Joshua and Caleb. And these two, what did they say to the people? They said to the people, if Yahuwah is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land. Perhaps they were descendants of Anak there. Yes, there were Hittites and all the other ites who were there, but it did not matter. What mattered? There's only one thing that mattered. What is that? It's Yahuwah. Because if Yahuwah is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land. And this is why, because of that faith that they had, they were able to see things from a different point of view. From the point of view of the 10 spies, they were like grasshoppers, right? But from the point of view of Joshua and Caleb, what do they say? Numbers 14, verse 9. Do not rebel against Yahuwah and don't be afraid of the people in the land, of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but Yahuwah is with us. Don't be afraid of them. And so according to the 10 spies, they were like grasshoppers. But according to Joshua and Caleb, they were the ones who were like prey to us. What's the difference? The difference is because they have Yahuwah. This is why we can tell the difference between fear and faith. Now, if I were to ask you, brethren, what is the difference between faith and fear? What is the difference between the report of Joshua and Caleb and the report of the 10 other spies? What's the difference, essentially, between faith and fear? What do you think it is? It's the focus, right? Fear, what does it focus on? Fear. Focuses on self, right? Because if you focus on self and you see a giant right in front of you, are you going to be afraid? Of course you are. Right? I'd be afraid. But if your focus is on God, are you still going to be afraid? No. You see, the difference between faith and fear is simply your focus. You see, fear focuses on self. And if you focus on self, eventually you're going to find someone or some situation far greater than you. But you cannot find any situation or any individual greater than who? Yehovah God. This is why faith focuses on God. When we focus on God, we do what God wants us to do. And so when Joshua and Caleb gave them this pep talk, do you want to know what happened? They probably said, yes, Joshua. Yes, Caleb, let's go occupy the land. What did they do? Let's read Numbers 14, 10 to 11. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. I want to pause there for a while. Sometimes the right thing to do is not the popular thing to do. Am I right? Right? Sometimes there's something God wants you to do, but the others don't really want you to do it. And if you want to do it, what are they going to do? They're going to persecute you for that. In this case, they're going to stone you. They wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb because they wanted to advance. They wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb because they wanted to fulfill the promise of God, to go to the promised land. I'm hoping that none of us are like the people who want to stone Joshua and Caleb. Brethren, there are times when Yahuwah God will want us to do something that we don't really want to do, perhaps. But if it's the will of Yahuwah, we have to say amen to that, right? And so the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Then the glorious presence of Yahuwah appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. 
And Yahuwah said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me? Even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them. And so how did God feel when they wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb? When they wanted to go back to Egypt instead of occupying the land promised by Yahuwah God? Yahuwah. For him, it was an act of defiance. That's why he said, how long will these people treat me with contempt? This is why when we look at the wasted opportunity, the resistance, the change, which is what is, in op what is, what is operative when it comes to situations where we have an opportunity to advance and to grow. There's always that resistance to change. And that leads to procrastination. Let's just do it some other time, right? Procrastination turns to doubt. Doubt leads to fear. Fear exaggerates problems. Problems lead to discouragement. And collective discouragement leads to defiance. The whole people of Israel, except for the four, they wanted to go back to Egypt. And so what did Yahuwah God decide to do? This is what he said. I will disown them and destroy them with a plague. Then I will make you into a nation greater and mightier, mightier than they are. And because they despised Yahuwah God, because they went ahead and treated Yahuwah with contempt because of the lack of faith, what did Yahuwah God decide to do? Yahuwah God says, I will disown them and destroy them. It's a good thing Moses was there. You know what Moses did? Numbers 14, 13 and 16. But Moses said to Yahuwah, you brought these people out of Egypt by your power. When the Egyptians hear what you have done to your people, they will tell it to the people who live in this land. These people have already heard that you, Yahuwah, are with us. That you appear in plain sight when your cloud stops over us. And that you go before us in the pillar of cloud day, uh, by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill, kill all your people, the nations who have heard of your fame will say that you killed your people in the wilderness because you were not able to bring them into the land you promised to give them. And so here's Moses after Yahuwah says, I'm going to disown and destroy the people of Israel. What did Moses say to uh, Yahuwah? What was his plea to Yahuwah God? He was basically telling Yahuwah, convincing him, don't do this. And what did Moses appeal to when it comes to trying to convince God not to go through with destroying all Israel? He said to Yahuwah God, if you do this, then what will the people say that you did not fulfill your promise? You know, brethren, when Yahuwah makes a promise, he will fulfill it. There are times when he will test us, yes, but always appeal to the promise of God. But not only that, Moses did not just appeal to God because of what he promised long ago. There's something else that Moses appealed to. Numbers 14, 17 to 19. Please, Lord, prove that your power is as great as you have claimed. For you said, Yahuwah is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. But he does not excuse the guilty. He lays the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. In keeping with your magnificent, unfailing love, please pardon the sins of this people, just as you have forgiven them ever since they left Egypt. And so, in addition to appealing to Yahuwah's promise, what also did Moses do to convince Yahuwah not to destroy his people? He, Moses appealed to his unfailing love, to his compassion. Moses said to Yahuwah, you said that you were slow to anger, filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. Did that work? What do you think? Do you think Yahuwah had compassion on his people despite their faithlessness? Let's read Numbers 14, 20 to 22. Then Yahuwah said, I will pardon them as you have requested, but as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with Yahuwah's glory, not one of these people will ever enter the land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. Did Yahuwah decide to pardon his people? Yes. However, 
what did he also say? He said, not one of these people will ever enter that land. What does that mean? Numbers 14, 36 to 38, the 10 men uh, Moses had sent to explore the land, the ones who incited rebellion against Yahuwah with their bad report were struck dead with a plague before Yahuwah. Of the 12 who had explored the land, only Joshua and Caleb remained alive. And so, yes, Yahuwah pardoned his people. But because Yahuwah is a holy God, what did he do? He decided to, to kill, right? The 10 who incited rebellion. Only Joshua and Caleb remained alive. What else? Did Yahuwah God decide to do? Numbers 14, 26 to 30. Then Yahuwah said to Moses and Aaron, how long must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints about me? Yes, I have heard the complaints the Israelites are making against me. Now tell me this. As surely as I live, declares Yahuwah, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. You will all drop dead in this wilderness because you have complained against me. Every one of you who is 20 years old or older, and was included in the registration will die. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb son of Jephunneh and Joshua son of none. And so yes, God forgave them. Yes, God pardoned them, but Yahuwah is a holy God. And so God also disciplined them. And this discipline of God, what did that result in? Numbers 14, 23 to 25, they will never even see the land. I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. Now turn around and don't go on toward the land where the Amalekites and the Canaanites live. Tomorrow, you must set out for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. And so what did God say? Because of what the, is, the people of Israel decide to do when they blatantly disobeyed God and wanted to go back to Egypt. What did God do? God said, okay, tomorrow you're going to go back to the wilderness. You're not going to go to the promised land. You're not going to go to the place where the Amalekites and the Canaanites are. You're going to go to where you want to go. Go back to the wilderness. In other words, they just lost the opportunity, right, to enter the promised land. And so how long are they going to spend in the wilderness? Numbers 41, 31 to 33. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in the promised land, to enjoy the land you have rejected. But you, your bodies will fall in this desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. So those who are 20 years up, 20 years old and above, what will happen to them? They will die in the wilderness or the desert. But the children, they're the ones who get to occupy the promised land. This was the decree of Yahuwah God. So what happened to the promise? It was delayed, right? How long was it delayed for? 40 years. Why 40 years? Numbers 14, 34, 35. Because your men explored the land for 40 days. You must wander in the wilderness for 40 years. A year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sins. Then you will discover what it is like to have me for an enemy. I, Yahuwah, have spoken. I will certainly do these things to every member of the community who conspired against me. They will be destroyed here in this wilderness, and here they will die. Why 40 years in the wilderness? Because they explored the land for 40 days. And so they will wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And as they wander in the wilderness for 40 years, 20 years and above, what will happen to them? They will die. They don't get to enter. The promised land. Who will enter the promised land? Those who are not included in the 20 and above. That was mentioned by Yahuwah our God. And so what happened to the promise? It was delayed because of the discipline of Yahuwah our God. So the wasted opportunity at Kadesh Barnea, it started with procrastination. They delayed. They should have just occupied it, right? 
when Yahuwah God says, occupy and take, they delayed. Procrastination turned to doubt. Doubt led to fear. Fear exaggerated the problems, which led to discouragement. Collectively, it caused the people to defy Yahuwah God and to demand that they go back to Egypt. And because of this, Yahuwah disciplined them, which delayed the promise for 40 years. Brothers and sisters, we don't want that to happen to us, right? And when this happened, when Yahuwah pronounced that they will not occupy the land until after 40 years, what happened? Numbers 14, 39 to 40, when Moses reported Yahuwah's words to all the Israelites, the people were filled with grief. Then they got up early the next morning and went to the top of the range of hills. <laughs> Look at what they say. What did they say? Let's go. <laughs> Wait a minute. When God said go, they said, no, not yet. Let's go ahead and spy the land out first. Oh, we're going to go back to Egypt. And then God says, no, you're not going to go anymore. You're going to go back to the wilderness. Now what do they do? <laughs> they say, let's go. <laughs> let's go to the promised land, they said, right? We realize that we have sinned, but now we are ready to enter the land that who has promised us. Now they're ready. But what do you say to something like that? Too? Too late. Too late. <laughs> right? They had their chance. But they wasted the opportunity. And when it comes to Yahuwah our God, brethren, we must never, ever reject the opportunity God gives us. Because when you reject the opportunity God gives us, we might not get it back until after a long Long, long time. And so when these people who want to go now to the promised land, despite what Yahuwah God said, you got to go back to the wilderness. You know how stubborn they were? Let's read Numbers 14, 41 to 43. But Moses said, why are you now disobeying Yahuwah's orders to return to the wilderness? It won't work. Do not go up into the land now. You will only be crushed by your enemies because Yahuwah is not with you. When you face the Amalekites and Canaanites in battle, you will be slaughtered. Yahuwah will abandon you because you have abandoned Yahuwah. And so they thought that they could go to the promised land now and occupy the land. But Moses said, no, the only reason why we can occupy the land is because God is with us. But if God is no longer with us, we cannot do that. You see, brethren, it's not about us. Who is it about? Yahuwah God. It was true then. It is true now. Like what we mentioned to you before, brethren, what we're going through today, it parallels in so many ways with what happened during the wilderness wanderings of the people of Israel. This is why when as Yahuwah was needed then, we need Yahuwah today. He and his promises must be the basis of everything that we do. Without him, we can do nothing. But with him, we can do everything. Follow his lead, brethren, because that is the key. But there are some people who are stubborn. They want to do what they want to do when they're ready. They want to do it when they're ready, not when God tells them to do it. And so what did those who were defiant and they still wanted to go to the promised land, what happened to them? Let's read 44 to 45. But the people defiantly pushed ahead toward the hill country, even though neither Moses nor the Ark of Yahuwah's covenant left the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who live in those hills came down and attacked them and chased them back as far as Hormah. Probably when they went back, maybe Moses told them, told you, <laughs> right? Told you not to do it <laughs> because they couldn't do it. Without the help of Yahuwah, God. So God gave them the opportunity when they were in Kadesh Barnea. The, the land was there for their taking. They had the opportunity. And when they lost the opportunity, they wanted to go back and do it. But it's too late. They wasted an opportunity. Right? I don't know about you. If you were the people of Israel and you saw what happened, how would you feel? <laughs> How would you feel? Now you have to wait 40 more years. And if you were 20 years old and above, 
you would not even see the promised land. How would you feel if that was you? Repentance, regret, right? This is why we need to make sure if ever Yahuwah God gives us an opportunity like that, we have to seize the opportunity. What do you think? We should. We must. And so the question I want to pose you is this. Is Yahuwah also giving us an opportunity right now? Right now. Is there something that Yahuwah God wants us to do now? When Yahuwah told his people Israel to occupy the land and take it, is that opportunity also being presented to us today? I believe so. You know why? We believe Yahuwah God is giving us an opportunity to really advance in his work right now. Before Israel, was, they were instructed to go and take the land. Do you know what happened? I did not read this yet, but I'm going to read it now. You probably noticed the two spies, right? What were their names again? Caleb and uh, Joshua. Joshua. But before he became Joshua, what was his name? Hosea. Numbers 13, 16. These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hosea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. Doesn't tell us why. It just tells us that's what he did. For some reason, Moses changes the name. Moses gives the name Joshua to Hosea, son of Nun. You know, I don't believe that there are things in the Bible that do not matter. I believe every single detail in the, in the Bible is there for a reason. You believe that? There's a reason why. Hosea was given the name Joshua. Take note, it was given to him, right? Do you think Moses did that on his own, this question? Who do you think inspired Moses? Yeah. There's something here. There's something here we need to look at. Remember, before they occupied the promised land, because Moses knew he was going to, they're going to face a battle. Don't get me wrong. God gave a promise. However, we have to do the work. There's going to be work. There's going to be fighting. And so Moses gives the name Joshua to Hosea. And what is that name Joshua? It turns out, if you look at the Hebrew, because what we're reading right now, when you read the name Joshua, that's in English, right? In Tagalog, what is it? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Names are not supposed to be translated. It's supposed to be transliterated, right? And so in Hebrew, in modern Hebrew, that name Joshua, what is it? Well, there it is, Joshua. You see the uh, highlighted name, Joshua? What is the Hebrew name? The biblical or he modern Hebrew name of Joshua. It's right there. Do you see it? It has all those Nikud markings. Let's remove those Nikud markings because the ancient script had no Nikud markings. The Nikud markings... Those dots that you see there, that was invented a thousand years after the first century. So it was not in the original scripts. And this is the Hebrew name. Do you recognize that name? Yeah. <laughs> it is a Yod. And? Hey. And? Wow. And then? The Shin. And then the? Ayin. How does the? ancient Hebrew look like? Does that look familiar? It looks familiar, doesn't it? What is that name, brothers and sisters? Yahushua. Yahushua. Does that give you like kind of the goosebumps a little bit? So before they go to battle, before they go occupy the land, there was a name, a name that's given. Always remember this. When a name is given, you know what that means? It means God wants us to do something with that name. You believe that? When a name is given, it's because Yahuwah wants us to do something. At this point, when that name Yash Yahusha was given, Yahuwah wanted them to occupy the land. That's why he gave the name. Because that name means Yahuwah delivers or Yahuwah saves. Right? That's why he gave that name. Right? This is why 
That name Yahuwah or Yahusha is an important name. And so when we look at Numbers 13, 16, these are names of the men. Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hosea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. But in actuality, it is Yahusha. Brethren, during our time, were we given this name? Yes. Yes. It is revealed to us this time. It wasn't revealed during the days of Brother Felix Manalo. It wasn't revealed during the days of Brother Irania Manalo. It was revealed today. Not today, but during our time. Right? Why? Because there's something that Yahuwah God wants us to do. In other words, we have an opportunity to occupy the land and take it. Right? Shall we do it? Yes. And so if we are to make the most of this opportunity, who should we emulate? Numbers 13 and the verses 30. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land. He said, we can certainly conquer it. What must we do? Once we know Yahuwah's will, once we know we have the name of Yahusha HaMashiach, the name for salvation, what does Yahuwah God want us to do? Bible says, let's go at once and take the land. And Caleb said, we can certainly conquer it. Let's do it. Let's not do it tomorrow. Let's do it now. In other words, ASAP, right? If you know the will of God, you have been given the name. Let's go ahead and take the land. We need to do it right away. We cannot postpone it. We cannot procrastinate. We have to do it right away. Why does Caleb say we need to take the land right away? Because that's the plan of who? Yahuwah God. Why? What does God intend to do in the promised land? What does God intend to do in the, prom the promised land? What does he want to build there? This is why he's giving him the promised land in the first place. What does, it, what does he intend to do? Yes, he wants to build a temple. In the wilderness, they were using the tents. But that was only temporary. What was permanent? Supposed to be permanent was the temple. The, the tent and the wilderness was not meant to be permanent. The temple was to be built on the promised land, not the wilderness. This is why, as God's people today, we cannot linger in the wilderness. We have to occupy the land. To do what? To build the temple. How must we do it? In the same way Caleb wanted to do it when Caleb said, let's go at once to take the land. Why did he say, let's go at once to take the land? Because he said, we can certainly conquer it. Wait a minute. Did Caleb know there were giants there or large men there? Yeah. Why did he say, we can certainly conquer it? Let's read the book of Numbers 14, 6 to 9. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If Yahuwah delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against Yahuwah, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and Yahuwah is with us. Do not fear them. Why did Caleb and Joshua say, certainly we can take it. Let's take it at once. Simply because Yahuwah is with them. Why were they certain? Because Yahuwah. When he delights in us, he will bring us into that land. This is why, brethren, we have an opportunity. It doesn't matter if they're giants. It doesn't matter if there are problems. Yahuwah God wants us to occupy the land and build that temple. You know who Caleb reminds me of? You know who? Brother Felix Y. Manalo. Because when... Back in 19, 1913, before 1914, he hired a lawyer and he told the lawyer, I want you to register the Iglesia Ni Cristo. You know what the lawyer said to him? 
he laughed. He laughed. He laughed at Brother Felix Manalo. You know what he said to Brother Felix Manalo? You're going to register a church. You're going to face mountains. And you're just like a worm. <laughs> right? Well, what was in the mind of Brother Felix Manalo? What kept him going? You know, there was often a verse, if you are to read the history of Brother Felix Manalo, there was a, a verse that kept pushing him and inspiring him and kept him going. What was that? It was James 4, verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. This is why even though, yes, it was a little flock in the Philippines, right? Compared to Catholicism and the Protestants, he registered it anyways. Why? Because he knew it was good to do. You see, if it's something good to do, you got to do it. If it's Yahuwah's will, we have to carry it out quickly, certainly, if it's Yahuwah's will. What is Yahuwah's will for each one of us? Because he has revealed the name of Yahusha. It is to occupy the land and build the temple. We have to build the temple. What does that mean? We have to build the temple. What is the temple we're going to build? Let's read one final passage before we pray. Corinthians 3, 9 to 11. For we are partners working together for God. And you are God's field. You are also God's building. Using the gift that God gave me, I did the work of an expert builder and laid the foundation. And someone else is building on it. But each of you must be careful how you build. For God has already placed Yahusha Christ as the one and only foundation. And no other foundation can be laid. God will destroy anyone who destroys God's temple. For God's temple is holy. And you yourselves are his temple. Bible says. Gave Moses the name. Yahusha. Because they were to occupy the land. For the purpose of eventually building a temple. We have been given the name Yahusha. What do we need to do? We need to build that temple. What does it mean to build a temple? We need to build the people of Yahusha. Right? That is what we need to do. We need to build up the people of Yahusha. However, in our work of building up the people of Yahusha, what does Apostle Paul remind us of? He says, only be careful how you build. What do you mean? For God has already placed Yahusha Christ as the one and only foundation. And so if we're going to build, it must be built upon the foundation of who? Yahusha the Christ. This is our work, and we need to carry on this work to its completion because Yahuwah has a promise for each one of us. And it's now time to make sure this opportunity is not wasted, but that we take on this opportunity head on. Yes, there may be hindrances, but we have Yahuwah's backing and Yahuwah's promise. That's all we need. If Yahuwah is with us, who is going to be against us? That is what we're holding on to as we continue in our work together. Let us stand, brethren, and we shall pray. Everlasting Father. Yes. Abba. Thank you so much. Loving Abba. Yes. Abba. For giving us the name of salvation. Amen. That precious name, Yahusha. Yes. We know there is a purpose and meaning. Yes. Why you have given us this name at this time. Yes. Something you want us to do. And we will do yes. it. Yes. Only direct our steps and show us your will. Amen. That Father, you will be glorified. Amen. Who are we to be given such a great name? Yes. A name that has your name in it. Yes. We praise you, loving Yahuwah, for giving us many promises. Amen. Thank you for your direction. Thank you yes. for the power of your spirit. So we are confident now. We are not doing this on our own. Yes. You are walking with us. You are with us. That is all we need. Even if there are giant adversaries along the yes. way. We seek you. And yes. you will be the one to give us deliverance. We can do nothing on our own. Yes. But Father, you can do everything. Listen to us, please. Yes. Whatever you want us to do, show us. And yes. we will do it. We will want we want to delight you. Yes. We want you to be happy with us. Yes. Help us, Father, 
that we can do exactly that. Amen. Yahusha, our king, thank you yes, so much Lord. for giving us such a precious name. Yes. We will build your people. Yes. We will do our best to please you. Yes. By your name, Yahusha, we will continue with these works yes. that you may be glorified together with the Father. Amen. Oh God, please bless your people all over the world. Yes. Bless us with courage and strength yes. and the healing that we need. Amen. We ask everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.